Welcome to Breakpoint Podcast, breaking down the world of tennis with your hosts, Val Fabo and Joel Frucci. We didn't say it before, we'll say it again. Carlos Alcaraz is mesmerizing. We can't quite believe what he's doing, and he's only just turned 19 with his second Masters 1000 title in Madrid. Not only did he win the title, he beat Novak Djokovic and Rafael Nadal back-to-back. It just does not happen. This is Breakpoint Podcast. I'm your host, Val Febo. And as we gush and just loud, or Lord, whatever, the Lord Carlos Alcaraz, he is <laughs> the new tennis Jesus. Um, Joel Frucci joins me. I, I still can't believe what he's been doing. Me either, Val. Yeah, that's exactly what we're doing. We're lording the Lord. Yeah. The young yeah. Lord, Carlos Alcaraz. My God. Um, it's just, it's insane. We were gushing over him a little earlier in the season when he was starting to sort of put this run of form together. But um, it's it cra- it's crazy that he's just gone on to better it. Yep. Um, and on the trajectory that he's on um, with Roland Garros coming up, you'd have to think not to pump his tires up too much because uh, he, as a young player, he probably won't want all that noise on him. It's inevitable, but you'd have to think that he's a red hot chance to maybe sneakily take out Roland Garros at this point. At this stage, you wouldn't bet against it, would you? You just really wouldn't. And and today at today's show, we do have an interesting show before we get onto the rest of Alcaraz and what he was able to do. Um, we do have Matt Levy from One Paddle, the technical manager, so in charge of um, building paddle courts and the, and managing them and quoting and all that sort of stuff. He's uh, They've opened up a wonderful business in the Docklands for paddle tennis. It's the new craze that's hitting Australia. It's been around Europe for a long time, but it's finally hitting our shores. I had a go at it last night. It is one of the most fun experiences I've had in such a long time. I would recommend anybody to get down there. Can't wait for everybody to hear what he had to say about the business and and paddle. And my my legs are still sore, Joel. (laughs) I was just about to ask how your legs were, mate. Yeah, they're gone. My glutes are generally pretty tight, and they feel very tight today. So yeah, huh. we'll, uh, we'll 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 talk about that one a little later. But back to Carlos Alcaraz because I want to gush over him some more. Now, his draw in Madrid, he knocked off Nicolas Basilashvili in the second round. Um, so he got a buy through the first. Then he had to take on Cam Norrie as the seventh seed. He won that in two hours and thirty nine minutes. Then Joel. He backed it up and played Rafa. He played Rafa twice before and lost both times. The first one was pretty convincing to Rafa at the uh, at Madrid last year. And then in Indian Wales, he had his ch- he had his chances to win that semi-final, did Alcaraz. But this time, on clay, on Nadal's favorite surface where he's won on many, many times on many occasions before, Alcaraz did him in in 2 hours and 28 minutes in 3 sets. Then the next day, he has to back up and play Novak Djokovic. He wins it <laughs> from a set down in three hours and 35 minutes. It was the most unbelievable match you will watch. It, um, the, the center court um, was, I, I've never heard it so loud. And then after those three matches, he's got to play Alexander Zverev at a tournament he's won on two occasions. He beats him 6-3-6-1 in an hour and two minutes. It, it's just, it is unbelievable what he was able to do this way, uh, last week in Madrid. It, it's just, for 19 years old, he's won two Masters 1000s already. He's won uh, an ATP 500 
And he's won, sorry, two ATP 500s, I must say. He's won in Rio and Barcelona this year. And five titles to go with it. The the kid is unbelievable. And he's, uh, in my opinion, Joel, he's already gone past Rublev. He's already gone past Tsitsipas. And he's already gone past Verev because they can't beat him. Yeah, and the the cherry on top would be if, if he was to pull through and 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 win a slam at, at this age, that puts real pressure on on that crop of guys. But I mean, if you have a look at his run, um, if you have a look at his run through Madrid, um, obviously the the names at the tail ends stick out: Rafa, Novak Djokovic, and Alexander Zverev. But um, yeah, if you look at it holistically as well. Um, Nikolas Bashilashvili, if he's playing well, he could he can beat a lot of players. Yeah, well, he's and a Masters one thousand finalist as well. Exactly, and the guy that he he lost to, Cam Norrie, uh, in that particular final, mm. we know what he can do as well. So, and he's a he's a tough nut to crack. So, um, look, a wonderful tournament from from Carlos. And um, look, I'm going to go as far as saying, so far, this is probably the most uh, the most impressive one by by far and away. Not only for the names. Um, not only for the names that he beat, but just just in the in the manner that that he got there as well. Um, really, really impressive. And the fact that um, you know we, we we talk of um, we talk of young players sometimes maybe not handling the pressure or the or the noise. And I did kind of already allude to it at the start of the pod. But so far, and it is still early days, but so far Carlos seems to be tackling that side of things really, really well. And he's only he's only getting better and better. Well, he seems to embrace it. And that's the thing. He seems he's jovial mm. with the media in his post matches. He's um and in the on court interviews. And then he feeds to the crowd noise. The electricity of the fans that are watching him, it's high. And they they just love being there and are in awe of what this 19 year old and only just turned 19, mind you, is producing. And it, it it has all the earmarks of what Rafael Nadal did in 2005. And the, the career trajectories are honestly so similar from that year. And it took a top 10 player to knock out Nadal in five sets in the 05 Australian Open, which was Leighton Hewitt. It took a top 10 player to knock Alcaraz out of the Australian Open uh, in five sets this year in Matteo Berrettini. Then in February, they went on to win uh, 500 events. And then they went on to win their first Masters 1000 title. They broke into the top 10 on the exact same day, 17 years apart. And 800 exactly. weeks later, however long, Rafa's still there. And yeah, it's, and, and honestly, I'm still not sure how Rafa beat him with a busted rib at Indian Wells because he is the form player this year, Carlos Alcaraz. There is no doubt about it. He is the form player. And. What he's been able to do to not be in awe in a tight match against... And, and the Djokovic one especially. The Djokovic one. Because Novak's starting to hit his straps a little bit. And for Alcaraz to do what he did in a tight epic and beat Novak at his own game and not be afraid to use the drop shot either. He just had no fear. And this is the thing that we've been looking for for 15 years against these top guys. No fear. And yep. he's got no fear, and it's great. It's so good. Yeah, it's it's fantastic. And uh, you know, Novak's had a bit of time back on the tour now, so he would probably be starting to feel a bit better about about himself leading up to 
um, you know, this really busy part of the year where you have Roland Garros and, and you have Wimbledon and, and he'll be feeling really good about his chances, I would have thought. But um, yeah, like, I mean, it's interesting. If you look at the pattern of, of the season, Val, um, how at the start of the season, um, you know, it's been this this wonderful throwback that's celebrated Rafael Nadal and, and just the renaissance of, of Rafa and, and what he's been able to do. And then if you look at the second part of the season, um, obviously, uh, granted that this second part of the season, we haven't had the slam yet, but um, it's been, uh, you know, it's been the the, the emergence of, of this new Spanish star. Like it's been, it usually is, right? I mean, the, the Spanish tennis has had a lot of good years, but I mean, this one has been really, really good. Like Rafa, Rafa's back to, you know, his younger self, Carlos Alcaraz is, you know, looking like the Incredible Hulk. And, uh, you know, if, you, if we throw it over to, to the, the women's side, you know, we can look at someone like Paola Badoza. She's having a fantastic season and and really making her mark and probably only a matter of time before, um, you know, she she really puts herself at the the very, very pointy end of a of a slam too. So great time to be a Spanish tennis fan, that's for sure. It really is. And, and Joel, I want to I wanna throw you under the bus here. Will Carlos Alcaraz be a Grand Slam champion by the end of the year? Or, you know what? Bugger it. I'm going to say yes. Yeah. Um, I'm going to say yes. I'm going to agree. I don't think it's going to be the French. I still, I'm still not sure whether he can back it up, but I think the US Open is going to be the one that Carlos Alcaraz is going to push and he's going to push hard for. We saw what he did there last year. He beat Pass in five. Um, he made it all the way through to the quarterfinals and and his body just uh, just sort of caved in on him, really. But the excitement was palpable. Everything was just, everything was on show and it's only gotten better. So I, I think we're really going to see Carlos Alcaraz shine this year. And I definitely think if he doesn't win a Grand Slam, the year-end finals, the ATP finals are going to go to him. He's going to win them. Anything in three sets, mm-hmm. I'm backing him in now. Anything in three. He's my favorite to win the tournament because the guy is just unstoppable. He is yeah. unstoppable. And and just, just on that as well, Val, I guess you could probably argue that from here and when we're talking of, of slams with, with Carlos, this is probably his next real big test, right? He's been able to do it in three consistently, um, but can he do it in five? And it's the, it's the question that we've been asking of Tsitsipas, of Zverev, um, I guess maybe to a lesser extent, Dominic Team, because he's, he's won, a, of course, won the US Open. Um, that bracket of guys, uh, Matteo Berrettini, we've been asking, can they do it in five? So that's probably really Carlos's big test. And he's still younger than those guys. So he's got a lot of room to, to build his tank up. Um, but I think that's going to be the, that's going to be the big question mark for him um, coming into slams. I think it sure is. And yeah, I think you're hundred percent right. It's, it's going to be, that's going to be the, the big question mark around his whole game as to whether, and we've seen him play a couple of, two and a half, three and a half hour epics, and he's backed it up the next day, but he hasn't had to play those extra two sets on the same day. But the one thing that did impress me was his Barcelona triumph, where he saved two match points against Alex Dimonor in the semis. And one of those, my God, like you just can't hit shots like that. You're not allowed to do that, but you he just did. And then he goes up and he backs it up against Pablo Carreño Busta and destroys him in the final. So th- there's no question about his fitness. But it's whether he can just if it's five setter after five setter after five setter. Yeah, it's a whole new ball game, isn't it? That's when things are going to be interesting because he's in for the long game. He likes the long rallies, and I think that's when that's what we're going to have to see 
um, that, that's when we're going to have to see Carlos Alcaraz shine. But Joel, apart from Alcaraz, there was another phenomenal story in Madrid last week, and that was Ons Jabeur finally getting another title. It's her second of her career and her maiden WTA 1000 crown. And I thought it was just, it was so brilliant because we, we love Ons. We love what she can produce on court. We love her attitude. We love her game style. Everything about her is so drawing and you just want to watch her play because she just captures the hearts of the entire world. And it's great to see her finally get another title. And Without Barty, without Sviontek, they all just fell over, really, didn't they? Mm. It was they they all fell over. Sabalenka, um, she lost early. I think she lost her first match, didn't she? She did to Anna Samova. Um, Paula Badosa lost in the second round to Simona Halep, who was unseated at this event. That's how strong the tournament was. Um, Halep ended up going on to lose to Jabir. Um, but then Pliskova, she struggled. Um, they all struggled to get through. Pavlachenkova lost in her opening matchup. They all just kind of fell over. Muguruza lost in the second round. Um, Raducanu lost before the quarterfinals. Rabakina lost before the quarterfinals. Uh, Fernandez lost in the second round. The seeds really struggled, and only two got through to the quarterfinals, and they were the two finalists in Jessica Pagula and Anjabur. So just unreal. The As soon as you take the, the two most dominant plays of the year out, the dominoes just fell straight away. Yeah, and... Um... I mean, if you look at the women's field, I think um, you know even uh, even with Eager, like there's no doubt that she's the strongest player. I think on the WTA at the moment by quite some distance. But um, uh, you know, r- really, if you if you look at the rankings, it's anyone's game at the moment. Um, like especially without Ash and the form that that she was in, um, you know, you could probably throw a blanket over really the top twenty, even. Um, and you could say that, yeah, the top thirty, even, and you could say that any of those players could beat anyone on, on their day. Um, and look again, um, that's the beauty of the WTA. It's even, it's, uh, it's unpredictable. Um, and it's good for the sport. Um, and yeah, speaking of good for the sport to get back to the, um, our original point Val about ons. Um, yeah, she's just such a compelling athlete. It's great. Like fantastic story. Seems like a wonderful person. And, uh, obviously, uh, backed or in part by, uh, one of our uh, good friends, Shane Leonard. So, uh, yeah, look, it's a great uh, great story to see um, Ons performing. And um, she did have some injury difficulties at the start of the year as well. Of course, missed the Australian Open. So, um, yeah, good, good to see her doing well. It really is. And she she's such a wonderful custodian of the sport, uh, not just around the world, but in her home country of Tunisia as well. So brilliant stuff from Anjabal. We hope to see more and more of that throughout the year. She's got an all-court game. We know what she can do on a hard court. We know what she can do on clay. And we know what she can do on grass. So very, very, very hard to beat. And she's got the variety that Ash Barty possessed as well. So that might bring a lot of people unstuck towards the end of the year. So the 27-year-old, there's a lot to look at. And Joel, we'll go to Rome because this one I think is going to give us a lot of indications of where the players are at ahead of the French Open. We know Madrid is a clay court Masters 1000 with only three weeks before Roland Garros, but it is at altitude. It is a little bit different in terms of the conditions. Rome has very similar uh, court speed, conditions, heaviness as Roland Garros. So we get a lot of ideas about what the players are going to be able to do and how they're going to be able to do it um, and who the strong performers are going to be. So 
if we look at the men's draw so far, Cam Norrie uh, falling last night. He lost to Marin Cilic in three sets. Um, Marcos Giron defeated uh, Diego Schwartzman 6-1, 7-6 on clay. That is a very impressive win. Felix Auger-Aliassime getting over uh, Davidovich Fakina in three. Nadal over Isner in two. Um, Denis Shapovalov has also done okay. He had a bit of a meltdown the other day, didn't he, Joel? Bit oh, swearing was, at the crowd. That was just <laughs> some... That was insane. I, I almost have no words for it. Um, yeah. Well, shut the F up to the crowd. Probably doesn't go down well, especially when you when the Italians are booing you. Then they're not big fans of people abusing them, and and I know that yeah. as a as a half Italian. And you're you're Italian. You can't tell Italians to shut the fuck up. I'm sorry, Dennis. No, you can't no, do it. You, you just you cannot do it. Um, and then yeah, Jensen Brooksby doing okay. He beat David Goffin, uh, in uh, in straight, so he moves through to the third. So a couple of unseeded players making their moves. Karen Kashinov. As well, Christian Garin doing okay. Alex Demonor into the third round um, as well. So he's enjoy- he's enjoying a great clay court season. Um, Stefano Tsitsipas, Alexander Zverev, Kasper Ruud, Rafael Nadal, as I said, and Novak Djokovic all still in this draw. And uh, Carlos Alcaraz, uh, I think he has, I think he's withdrawn. That's the that's what I'm. I think he's. Uh, I saw a, I saw a, um he was at a beach the other day on yeah, Instagram no. stories. So, so maybe just kicking up his heels before the big time, but. Um, As he should, yeah. So a right ankle injury for Alcaraz, so he's not playing in Rome. Yeah, and probably probably not a not a bad idea of of him to maybe just just uh, take uh, a little bit of time off. But well, how, how good is it to see Stan Wawrinka back as well? It really is. It really is. And it was his first match, I think, in four hundred and sixty days. First match win or five hundred and sixty days. It was one of those two, which is whopping a whopping number either way. And, and and it's just seeing that backhand and the glorious shot making that we have come to know and love um, when watching Stan Wawrinka, it's, it, it's brilliant. And he said last night, and and he, he seemed a little bit emotional in his on-court interview saying that, you know, this is the reason why I play. This is why, you know, this is why I play tennis for the fans to hear this atmosphere. And, and he has been part of some sensational matches throughout his career, and we have seen it on many occasions. His five-setters, his three-setters, especially, he's been the one that's been able to outpower Novak Djokovic in a Grand Slam, and to beat him in two Grand Slam finals, not many other players have been able to conjure that up. So, yeah, it's it's so impressive that Stan has come back and he'll play Djokovic again tonight, and it's that one I, I, I'm not sure Stan's going to have the firepower for, considering he is just on his comeback. Um, the head-to-head at the moment stands at Djokovic, I think nineteen to four, which is just absolutely mm. unbelievable. But um, yeah, it's yeah. fingers crossed we can see uh, we can see Stan Vavrinka really push him and um and, and have have one of those enthralling encounters that we've seen in the past because it, it it's always fun to watch. It is always fun to watch. I think, unfortunately, as 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 you said, Val, I think Novak's probably got him covered here, but. Um, you know what's great though for Stan in this instance, it's pretty much a free swing for him. Mm. So like he could he can just go out there and just rip those just delicious backhands if he really wants and and really go at Novak. So I mean, who knows? I'm not completely writing him writing him off, but you'd have to think that Novak's probably got his number in this one. Yeah, no, I think so. I think you're definitely right. And look, Djokovic, if he beats Vavrinka, that's win number nine hundred ninety eight. If he beats Giron or Auger Aliassime, win number nine nine nine. Win number one thousand could come against Rafael Nadal in the semi-final. Should they both get there, so well, history in the making, I think, for Novak Djokovic, and and he would very much be looking to get that one thousandth win. Um, just 
out of the way and then look forwards to the end of the year in the second half where he can really regain all the ranking points that he's lost um, to start this campaign. But the women's draw as well, Joel. Um, who are you picking for the men just before uh, just before I let you go? Who's your, who's your tip? Uh, yeah, look, it's a, it's a tough one. I feel like it's a, it's a bit of an open field. Um, probably, probably leaning at the moment towards, uh, probably you got to say Rafa almost. Mm. Um, um, yeah, I'll go Rafa over, over Steph, I reckon. Okay. I'm, I think Djokovic has got it, and I reckon it might be. Uh, I reckon it might be Steph as well. I think Novak's just finding his form at the right time here, and he's probably the. He's got to be the favourite for Roland Garros, maybe even with with Rafa's foot. I'm just not sure where it's at. He said he was. He just didn't look 100% in Madrid, so we'll see if um if the break and and he looked pretty good last night. So we'll see how Rafa goes. Uh, I'm just not sure about where he's at. The women's draw. Is there even any point previewing it? Igor Fiontek's in the draw. That's need we say more, but no, in all seriousness, uh, Sviontek, the top seed, Bedosa, the second seed, um, Pliskova at six. Um, she is gone, lost to Jill Teekman, who is having some sort of year as well. Um, she, I think, was the semifinals in Madrid last week, or at least the quarterfinal, um, played really, really, really well. Um, and Danielle Collins, the number seven seed, she's still in. Beat Simona Halep in straight sets on clay, which is so impressive. Muguruza gone, lost to Yulia Putintseva. Onjabur still in the draw, beat uh, Ala Tomjanovic, the Aussie, in the second round. Annette Kontaveit gone, lost to Petra Martic. Bianca Andreescu unseeded, very dangerous. Jessica Pagula still in the draw. So the two finalists from Madrid are still there. Amanda Anisimova defeated Belinda Bencic. And we've got a juicy third-round encounter between Igor Fiontek and Victoria Azarenka. Yeah, very nice. Um, I think overall, looking at the draw, um, yeah, again, going back to what we were talking about before, like it's a very, it feels like a very, uh, a very WTA draw. This one, <laughs> where I feel like there's any number of players that could really take this one out. But I, I think overall, I, I think when you when you have a, a deep look at it, I'm, I'm leaning towards a one-two final between Sviontek and and Bedoza, um, and. I don't know. I reckon Paolo might might take this one out. Not saying that with any conviction, but I feel like uh feel like she could do it. I can't go past Iga. I just can't go past her. I really, really, really cannot go past her. I, I reckon she's got it in the bag. Easy. Won't drop a set for the rest of the tournament. And watch. Done. You watch, she'll lose to Azarenka now that I've said that. Um, <laughs> but let's hope not. Uh, Joel, uh, you've got to duck out very quickly, but I'm going to stick around and chat to Matt Levy from uh, from One Paddle. But when we do finish that, you're going to be back, and we're going to chat about, yes, the Benoit of the week, but also what's going on with Wimbledon because the ATP, they're coming to some sort of decision here, and it may be just a little bit controversial. Plenty more still to come on Breakpoint. Follow Breakpoint on social media, on Twitter and Instagram at Breakpoint Podcast. Search us on Facebook and subscribe to the show on your favourite podcast platform. You are listening to Breakpoint Podcast. Val Febo here with you. And uh, and last night, Joel's had to step out, but we've we're filled or we, we've filled his seat with a very, very, very special guest because last night... I was able to finally have a hit of paddle tennis. It's taking the world by storm. It has been 
so much there's been so much sort of fanfare about it and all this sort of stuff around Europe and it's finally hit Melbourne in January finally got to have a go it is some of the best fun you will ever have and the technical manager at one paddle out of Docklands 206 Lorimer Street in Melbourne joins me Matt Levy how are you mate I'm really well Val and uh thanks for coming down last night so we could check out your form uh it wasn't great was it it was was good it's uh Paddles, one of those games that uh, they say it's easy to easy to learn, hard to master. Um, and yeah, look, by the end of the night, you were certainly uh, getting getting somewhere with your paddle. Yeah, you can pick up the tips of the trade sort relatively quickly once you sort of get used to the walls behind you. But sort of tell us about the rules of paddle and and what sets it aside from from tennis and what it's really a combination of for those who haven't heard. Yeah, okay. Um, Yeah, I'll try and give you a bit of a broad understanding. So paddle tennis is played on a court that looks like a tennis court, probably two-thirds the size. It's 20 metres by 10 metres. The big difference is it's got an enclosure all the way around it, glass at the back and the first two panels of the side, and then a metal enclosure uh, around the sides. The game itself is played a lot like doubles tennis. Underarm serving being one of the major differences. Scoring's the same. Um, and, they, you know, you play normal six-game sets. Uh, probably the, the big difference is the ball is still live once it's, once it's hit a wall. So, you know, the skill element, which makes it a bit like squash, tennis and badminton all combined, uh, is the ability to hit the ball after it's hit the wall. So it must hit the grass first to be considered in. But then from there, there's a lot of angles and a lot of possibilities that uh, makes it a lot of fun for you know players to play. And fun it is. I, I absolutely had a blast. The two hours that we were there absolutely flew by. And how did you come across paddle originally, Matt? Because it's, as I said before, it's massive in Europe. It's big in South America, but it hadn't really been tapped to here. It tapped into here in Australia. So, what was your first experience with the sport? Yeah, that's that's right. Well, look. I'm a tennis tragic. Uh, I was a tennis coach for 15 years uh, prior to going into building. Uh, and, I, and I was building for these clients of mine who did some cafes and hospitality space. Uh, and one day we had an interesting conversation from one of the, one of the uh, owners who lived in Amsterdam. He said, you guys should look at this sport called paddle. It's, it's huge overseas. And, and he'd been playing over there for a couple of years. And so we started the conversation and um, those conversations started to become, you know, more and more frequent and, and started to discuss the possibilities. Uh, over the next 18 months, we formed uh, a partnership of four uh, in various different uh, strengths, uh, areas of expertise. Um, and, and then, you know, slowly but surely that those discussions, you know, have become a reality. It took two years for it to happen. Um, but we're really proud of the site that we've got down at the Docklands. And, um, yeah, it's, it's an exciting thing to be able to say, hey, we brought paddle tennis to Melbourne. Well, and that's exactly what you've done. And, and the site at the Docklands is quite spectacular because if you've, if international listeners, if you've been to Melbourne and you know what the Balti Bridge is, you've got the beautiful picturesque view of the city in the background. You've got the water right there. It's absolutely perfect. And how did you actually come about finding that, that setting for, for the business? Yeah, so look, first of all, we got really lucky. Um, It's a site owned by Development Victoria. Um, It sits on the water's edge, as you were saying. It's actually an old um, 
shipping container storage area, um, but it has a concrete existing concrete slab and, and a roof over the top takes in 4,000 square metres, you know, in the heart of the Docklands. So that's pretty special in itself. Um, and getting talking with Development Victoria, again, a long process, finding out their intentions for the site. They, they'd always had it earmarked as a minor sporting facility and also a place of community benefit. Um, so we've been working in conjunction with them to try and achieve that. So we've got the courts in place and then we'll continue to do some things different activations in that space for the community, such as, you know, potentially some basketball courts, an outdoor gym, um, and really just to create a hub where people can walk right to the end of the boardwalk and, you know, take in the views of the city, play some paddle tennis, you know, play a pickup game of basketball, have a workout and, and really try and um, achieve that dream that development Victoria are looking for. Amazing. And you opened on day one of the Australian Open this year, and you also had an activation at the AO, which we will get to, but how have you found the foot traffic coming through since day one? Yeah, um, overwhelming, probably is the word we'd use. Um, we really had this word soft start, you know, we said we'll do this soft start and uh, see how it goes. But <clears throat> what we didn't consider is the multiculturalism of Melbourne. So there's a whole um, subculture of people who've already been playing paddle tents. So it wasn't really about educating people. It was, it was people were finding us and, and we were trying to explain to them the rules and, and this and that. And they say, no, I've been playing for 10 years in Italy or in, in you know Spain. <laughs> and so it was really um, an underserviced sport and, and the demand was there from day one. So yeah, it's, um, it's really been trying to play catch up, to be honest, and it's just been amazing. What do you think it is about the sport that drives people to it? Look, you saw it last night. It's, it's social. Um, it's, it's fun. Uh, it, it probably involves an element of fitness, but not an elite level. Um, tennis is really quite hard to get to a point where you can play a really proficient game. Um, and, you know, there's, there's balls going left, right and centre, there's double faults, there's nuances with the etiquette that not everyone knows unless they've played for a period of time. Um, paddle is very different. You know, you can have four people who might just have a basic background in some sports and, you know, you pick up the, the game quickly. It's kind of continuous because you're not losing balls because it's, a you know, in a caged arena. And so, you know, it's fast, it's fun, it's social. And, you know, tennis is very much quiet, please. Paddles have the radio going in the background yeah. and, and yelling and screaming. Yeah, the environment was absolutely phenomenal where you were last night. And and I definitely get that. It was very continuous. It's a good workout as well. I was absolutely wrecked by the by the end of it. I had to sit down and, and really take in a few deep breaths. It was absolutely great. And, and Tennis Australia... Um, they flagged some interest and they had the um, the activation at the Australian Open at Grand Slam Over, which you were a part of setting up. Um, has it been a big process to get them on board or have they kind of jumped at it? Look, uh, we've, we've been working in conjunction with Tennis Australia. So, you know, it wasn't really us taking it to them. Um, we, we started having some talks maybe six months ago or so and, and it was really just a sharing process. They were already there. They were already... Um, aware of paddle and, and knowing it was coming. Um, so we've been able to share ideas, you know, and Tennis Australia have adopted um, the governance of paddle in Australia. So they'll be the governing body for paddle. Um, and they've got some big ideas moving forward as to how they'd like to see 
paddle integrated you know, into tennis in a complementary manner. Mm. Overseas, paddle and tennis have become competitors. And so it, it hasn't really, you know, hasn't really worked well. I think Tennis Australia are really adopting a, a, a smart view in that they see it as a complement to tennis. So it's one of tennis's formats in Australia. Yep, and and that's what it that's what it should be because it is it's called paddle tennis. So yeah. it's yeah, and and scoring's the same. You're playing with tennis balls. The techniques are somewhat similar in a way, and yeah, I guess it definitely works, and it must help in terms of your goals for the growth of the sport. And w- what are your hopes within short term and long term for paddle in uh, in not just Melbourne but Australia? Yeah, well, look. Um, the models that we've seen overseas, it, it is a very quick uptake that, you know, we start with one club, which quickly turns into 10. And, and before you know it, there's hundreds of clubs in a, in a country. Um, so our, our personal hopes are obviously to, to grow the sport and to um, expand across Melbourne. We've got some plans in place to start opening some other venues. Um, but very quickly, we're not, we're not the only ones. Um, I'm involved with assisting the build um, of some paddle tennis courts in Yarraville, which which will be underway uh, in the next six weeks. So they'll be up and running shortly. They have similar views. They, they think they might open another two or three venues within, within 12 months. So look, I don't think it's going to take long to get to say 10 paddle tennis clubs in Melbourne. And then you start expanding out to the regions like Bendigo, Ballarat, Geelong. Those places will all very quickly have enough demand to uh, sustain a paddle tennis club. Yeah, and it's funny you mentioned that because in 2026, those three regional hubs are going to have the Commonwealth Games come over. So, you know, Paddle will uh, hopefully be at the forefront, possibly around then, maybe make it a Commonwealth Olympic sport down the track. So there are goals for the sport internationally as well. But um, it is, um, you've been inundated with celebrities since you since you did open. And I, I thought I might ask because the cachet of paddle tennis is really picking up in Melbourne. So who are the, some of the big names that you've had uh, walk through the doors down at Docklands? Yeah, we've been overwhelmed actually. And, and it shows that it is an international sport. Um, our first visitor who, who found us was, was the cricket uh, great and commentator, Michael Vaughan. Um, and, and he's an avid paddle player overseas. And he sort of said, can I come down and play? So we were like, yeah, of course you can. And so very quickly after the first game, he said, I'm going to bring some of my mates down. And before you know it, we had cricket royalty down there through January. We had um, Vaughny, we had uh, Michael Hussey, we had Gilchrist um, and, and some of the commentary team. And every time they came, we thought, oh, that was amazing. You know, it was so good that they came down. And then we'd get a phone call two days later and say, can we come back? And so uh, we were having these 10 and 12 player tournaments, you know, regularly through January, just, you know, we'd literally just rolled the courts out um, and it was great fun. And, and those boys were amazing. They all mentioned um, us and the sport on, uh, on their commentary crosses. And uh, it was, it was, it was great. No, it's brilliant, and especially in the first month, what more could you ask for? Having big celebrities coming through and uh, and giving you the exposure that you want, it's absolutely phenomenal. And one final one before we let you go, Matt, how can we get involved? How can people get in touch with you guys and get involved in Paddle here in Melbourne and Australia? Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, how can you get involved? We'll jump on the One Paddle website, um, you know, which you'll find, and actually um, it'll take you to the app. There's a Playtomic app which you can book online, you book your court, um, each one of your players just pays for their section of the court hire on the, on the app. 
Um, and then, yeah, come down and see us at 206 Lorimer Street in Docklands. Definitely worth mentioning Docklands under the Balti because there's 206 Lorimer in Port Melbourne and takes you under the West Gate. Yep. I think even one of your boys found that last night. <laughs> it um, almost took me there as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So remember it's in the Docklands. Yeah, lucky um, I, yeah, I knew. Yeah, we would, uh, yeah we'd love to see anyone who's listening down there. And my son, Cooper, as you'll, as you'll uh, attest, is very friendly. He loves showing everyone how to play and he'll jump on the court with anyone just to get them started. Yeah, he's a gun to put us all to shame last night, and he's uh, he's he's very very good, Cooper. But um, Matt Levy, thank you very much for joining us on Breakpoint Podcast today. It's a pleasure to have you on. It's a pleasure to talk about paddle because it is. I honestly have not stopped smiling since I started last night, and it was it was so much fun. I love what you guys are doing, and fingers crossed the growth is exponential because you guys deserve it. It's a great thing you guys are doing and growing the sport here in Melbourne and Australia. So Matt Levy, technical manager at One Paddle in Melbourne, two. 106 Lorimer Street. Thank you very much for joining me on the show. Appreciate it so much, Val. Hopefully we speak again. Matt Levy there joining me on Breakpoint. What an unreal sport it is. 206 Lorimer Street in the Docklands in Melbourne if you do want to get down there or onepaddle.com.au. Play Tommy Gap. Um, it's just, it, it's brilliant. I recommend everybody to get around it. Plenty more still to come on Breakpoint, including the one and only Benoit of the Week. Follow Breakpoint on social media, on Twitter and Instagram at Breakpoint Podcast. Search us on Facebook and subscribe to the show on your favourite podcast platform. This is Breakpoint Podcast, Val Ferbo and Joel Frucci joining you on, uh, well, it, it's just been such a wonderful week for Carlos Alcaraz. We, we we can't stop thinking about him. We can't stop thinking about, you know, we we're, were chatting just as you jump back on, Joel. Um, about Alcaraz and what he can possibly do. And we're so, so, so excited. But again, a big thank you to Matt Levy I was uh, for jumping on with us and, and talking about paddle tennis. I was trying to be like Carlos Alcaraz last night, Joel, and I just, I got nowhere near it. I absolutely got nowhere near it. So um, yeah, one day maybe at paddle, I might be able to be somewhat like Alcaraz, but definitely not at the moment. But um, I want to ask you. Alcaraz. That's not bad. That's not bad at all. Not bad. My idol, like Alcaraz, it came out during the week, is Roger Federer. So who knows? You know, maybe maybe there are some similarities. Um, I'm just going to leave that because there aren't. Um, but <laughs> the, Wimbledon, Joel. Now we've seen the decision um, to ban Russian and Belarusian players from the draw due to the ongoing war in Ukraine and uh, Russia and Belarus's Belarus's part uh, in invading Ukraine and. It's 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 been very controversial because for a Grand Slam to do this when the players really have no no involvement in the war or anything like that is it's quite astounding really. Um, but the ATP has been meeting this week and they are possibly going to strip ranking points from Wimbledon to not hinder Medvedev, Rublev, um, Kashanov, Karatsev. Ivashka, any of those guys. And the WTA possibly, you know, they've come out and made statements, so I'm not sure what their end goals are. But Djokovic and Nadal have both come out and spoken against the law or the ruling. What, um, what, what, what do you think about the ATP taking points away? It's very drastic, but so is the decision to ban the players as well. Yeah, um, look, it's it's a really complicated issue. Um 
and look, I know that you and I have, have chatted a lot about this in our mm. own time um, amongst ourselves. Um, look, I, I don't know. I, I actually really support Wimbledon in making the decision that they have made. That would have taken a lot of conviction, um, and it's not one that they would have made lightly. But um, you know, unfortunately, like there's a lot of uh, you know the, the old adage is that your sport and politics don't mix. Um, a lot of people sort of talk about that and and reel that one out. But unfortunately, inevitably, they do. Um, this is probably one where they don't necessarily have to mix. Um, but unfortunately, the way that I look at it is that um, you know this, and I'm not look. I'm not saying that sport tennis is going to end the war in the war in Ukraine mm. between them and Russia. But um, look, the unfortunate reality of the situation is that when you're dealing with, when you're dealing with uh, an autocratic government, like, like Russia's, like the one that Vladimir Putin leads, the only real way that I think anyway, that you can, you can bring about change is if the political consequences trickle down to ordinary people that have no say in anything. So the players have no say in anything um, and they're feeling the effects of it. Um, and it's only when they speak out, um, when they get frustrated, uh, when their fans get frustrated, um, you know, that the dissent happens and okay, yeah, sure. Um, we, you know, we're dealing with Russia, right? Dissent doesn't really go down well in, in Russia, but um, you know, the, the collective, the collective dissent um, built up in a place like social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, whatever it is, it builds up pressure builds from the outside so look i actually really admire wimbledon for for what they've done and i actually think it's quite disappointing of um of the atp to take the stance that they've that they've taken and um you know i, I understand that they're standing up for for their athletes and i think that's great um but i think it's i think it's the wrong move i actually i actually unfortunately and you know that i for one love daniel medvedev um i love andre rublev mm. Fantastic tennis players, really great characters for the tour, um, you know. But unfortunately, if if the the consequences don't trickle down to normal people that have no say, then nothing's going to change. Yeah, I, I look. I see where you're coming from, and I can see every single side in this argument. But I think I honestly, I think this is the the decision is a load of crap because they they want. Wimbledon wants the Russian players to come out and denounce the war and everything like that. And look, that's that's easy to do. But the problem is, as you said, you're dealing with Vladimir Putin. You don't know what his next move is going to be. If you come out and publicly denounce him and your family's still in Russia, look, look I don't know. I'm not saying, but these are just some of the things that would go through some of the players' heads. Um, you know, if he's, if he's invading Russia and this isn't... Sorry, if he's invading Ukraine... You know, you just don't know. You really just don't know. And uh, the players have made statements and come out and said that they are anti-war, but they haven't gone over the top and said, you know, don't, you know, they haven't kept pushing at it because that could be a fear thing. You don't know. Yeah. It could be well, a fear I get thing. why. I get why and because yeah. no doubt that they're worried about their safety. Exactly right. Yeah. And it's a bit of a bind for them. I, I feel for the players. I really do. And yeah, so do I, because they're just innocent bystanders in this. I'm I'm positive they don't support the war because most have come out and said it. Um, no, there's no doubt that they don't support it. And it's just and, and you look at it and go, well, it's essentially like someone working in an Australian organization or anywhere around the world and 
because you're Russian or from Belarus, they fire you and just say, no, nah, we're supporting the war. We're, we're supporting Ukraine in this war, so we don't want any Russians or Belarusians working here. That's how I see it. And I, I, I see it as... And, and the LTA's bylaws are anti-discrimination. And one of the points of discrimination is for people and where they were born. So it goes against their own bylaws. It just makes no <laughs> sense. And I know it's an extreme situation, but when the players aren't holding guns and invading Ukraine themselves and have said, we don't want the war to happen, why are you banning them? It doesn't mm. make any sense. But I can see every side of the argument because there is, I guess, in this situation, I, I guess people see one way, people see the other, but... It's yeah, it, it it's just it's it's a bizarre situation, and I think it is fair if the a, if the ATP does it and if the WTA does it, I guess because you know the, the players don't lose the points that they earned at Wimbledon last year, but then the players that do play this year kind of doesn't really mean as much. Like, is it still a Grand Slam? Does it count as a Grand Slam title if there's not as much up for grabs and there's less players, or you know what have you? I I don't know. Um, yeah, it's it's a very bizarre situation and, and one that I hope that we can get a resolution to quickly. Um, I hope that we can find the outcomes very quickly and just move on from it because it's just, it's ugly on every surface and hopefully the war just ends because that's even uglier. It's just disgusting what's happening up there in Ukraine and um, some of the stories that you see are absolutely horrifying. So I wish all the Ukrainians um, the best and I hope that they're safe and I hope that everybody's safe up there because it's just, it's... It, it's it's awful, absolutely awful. But Joel, uh, we'll move on from the negative and finish with that uh, with the Benoit of the week, and and I'll let you award it this time. I think I did it last time. I can't quite remember, yeah. but um, it is on you this week. You can award it to whoever you may like, whoever you feel might deserve it. A bad thing, a good thing. What happened this week that uh, that warrants a Benoit? Yeah. Um, yeah, so we'll stay within tennis this week, um, and I think it's kind of I feel like it's in the middle somewhere between good and bad. Um, Bad because it's it's not good for this particular player's uh, image and overall uh, career progression, I don't think. But good in the sense that it's bloody hilarious for us spectators. Denis Shapovalov, do same pazzo. Oh, it's just so funny. It's so funny. Um, yeah, I, I wasn't sure what was going on there, but yeah, Dennis just having a go at the Italian crowd, and yeah. <laughs> Just odd. It was really, really yeah. odd. But he got the win. He'll play Rafa tonight. And that's I think that's the exciting thing. They've, they've played many times before. And um, Shapovalov should have beaten him at the Australian Open this year, had his chances and could have got the job done and has beaten him on a hard court before. But clay is a different story. So very excited to see what Denis Shapovalov can do against the king of clay. Joel, thank you very much for your efforts today. It's been an absolute pleasure sitting alongside you again and doing this podcast. Arrivederci. Grazie. Um, we can, uh, I, I can't hold up my Italian like you, so it's probably going to be a couple of words and maybe the swear words if, if, if we continue <laughs> along this trend. Um, but thank you very much, mate. It's been a pleasure. Val Ferbo and Joel Fridgey signing off. Remember, you can follow us on Instagram, Breakpoint Podcast, Facebook, Breakpoint Podcast, and Twitter at Breakpoint Pod 1. You can subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Google, anywhere you get your podcasts. We are there. Uh, tune in next time as we take you through more tennis and lead you in to Roland Garros, which we are very, very excited for.